Hi, Fiona. Good morning. Good morning, Caroline. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on this Thursday morning. It's a beautiful Los Angeles day. Your parents are visiting tonight. They, should, they are. <laughs> They're first-timers to Los Angeles, all the way from Little Rhode Island. Very special. Um, why don't you tell the good people who you are um, and what you what you do? Good people. Good people of the podcast collective. Um, I'm Fiona, and as of late, I'm fully owning being an astrologer, tarot reader, background in psychology and also media. I worked for 10 years in the New York media sharky landscape and did the sex in the city, climbing the ranks thing, had a bit of a personal breakdown and learned these modalities as a tool for healing and self-reflection and then really caught on to it and liked it. And in the COVID pandemic, uh, that took off. So mm. I just recently left my corporate job this year, um, but I was balancing a very entrepreneurial pursuit in having one-on-one -on -one clients yeah. and realizing that I was actually quite good at that and it was helping people. So yeah, that's what I do full-time now. That's so, so special. Um, could you just like give everyone a brief primer on what is tarot, what is astrology, um, how would you, for yeah. dummies? <laughs> <laughs> for dummies. Okay, well, they're both ancient tools and okay. ancient systems mm -hmm. that utilize archetypes and storytelling um, to understand the different uh, characters, masks that we wear, and personality elements that live inside of us, mm. uh, the stories that are being told within us and with out in the world. Um, and so they're both very different. Uh, tarot yeah. is a deck of cards that, you know, dates back um, for a couple centuries, and it is a divination tool. So you use it intuitively, and you pull from said deck of 78 cards. And, yeah, there's a story that unfolds within the spreads that you read there. Um, but most people are more familiar with astrology. <laughs> but it gets such a weird rep because if you try to mass market astrology, it's mm. just, like, vastly underselling the actual practice of it um, because you, it's an entire analysis of where the 12 planets were falling when you were born. That's and a birth chart. In a birth chart, okay, yeah. Got it. So astrology, you know, looking at the stars, the planets, the constellations, the placements mm -hmm. in the sky, um, that dates back to the Babylonian era, but they've used that throughout civilizations to understand what stories are unfolding collectively. And then mm. the birth chart is a representation of where the sky was, exactly where and when you incarnated. And oh, that's so fucking cool. yeah, yeah, and so every planet is really a representation of like the themes unfolding mm. in your life's movie. So like most people only look at the sun. That's the only thing that you get in your cosmopolitan horoscope. Oh right, that's like your star sign. Yeah, or, yeah, that's what the most one people says. know okay. exactly. So like yeah, that's an important one. You have like your sun. That's the ego that you're shining. But then you have all the rest of the planets as themes playing out. So like the okay. moon is representing your emotional nurturing capacity and how mm. you process feelings. You know, Venus, that's how you attract both love and money. Venus Ooh. rules over money. <laughs> Mars, the warrior god. It's the theme of, you know, physical expression, how you go after your goals, but also sexuality. Mm. And so, yeah, all the way down to Pluto, um, those are themes. And based on where they were falling in the sky when you were born, 
or where they are now, those themes are being played out by the signs, which are like actors. And so, you know, like a Virgo Venus is going to have a very different (laughs) approach to love than like, you know, a Scorpio Venus. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, then there's the house system, which is like the set of your life's movie. Um, So that gets very, it gets very technical, but um, that's why you need to know what time you were born. Ah, yes. Wait, Um, guess what time I was born. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) How would I I know? 11, 11. Whoa. I know. So basically very Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus would be 333. But that means that you're a master manifester, most likely. Really? What does that mean? Uh, well, 11, 11, you know. It I'm going to, like, co-op this. It gets very woo. Like, it's so woo. But, like, my Cali peeps will know. Like, 11, 11, as you start to do a bit of, like, awakening to these kinds of, um, like, ancient modalities mm-hmm. or you start to, like, just pay attention to synchronicities in your life. 11, 11 is something that a lot of people see when they're in, like, a very flow state where you can manifest quite easily. So mm. whenever I see the 1111, I'm like, oh, I need to pay attention to my thoughts because I can manifest great shit right now. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah. yeah <laughs> great shit right now. Or if you're like obsessing over something, then you, yeah. know, you just want to get that out because you're going to manifest that. <laughs> Wait, let's talk about the concept of manifesting because yeah. like you're talking about, a lot of these ancient um, modalities have become super popular recently. Yeah. And I think manifesting is one that's like trade trending, trending uh, right now. <laughs> manifesting is a tricky one okay. because it taps into a few concepts. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of nuance also. It's like manifesting beyond your circumstance when you're extremely, you know, marginalized or underprivileged. Like, let's caveat that that's not the same as manifesting Mm. when you have, you know, a lot of resources at your disposal and, you know, pretty privilege and all that stuff. So, but, mm-hmm. but I do believe in manifesting and I've actually seen it work. Um, I'll give you like a, a very good example. Okay, so okay. last year and manifesting based ba- is based off the f- principle that you are your thoughts, right? But you're also the frequency of which you operate. And so mm. if you are in a very like flow state working with awareness of your thoughts and you know, how you're attracting, mm-hmm. which requires you to be in in a very magnetic capacity. So feeling good about yourself, treating your body well, keeping, you know, your energy in a very high level. So like there's nothing wrong with alcohol, but like alcohol <laughs> lowers your frequency a little bit. So like you want to be just kind of like taking care of yourself mm-hmm. in a in a good practice with your own relationship to spirituality mm-hmm. and also like in a good place where your thoughts are intentional. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to learn, you know, with astrology and tarot, I have anxiety. And so initially it was a cool tool to help me understand like the greater stories happening in my life. But then it got into a weird place during COVID where I was like compulsively pulling and looking at the stars because I had anxiety about what was going on. And so last year, um, my fiance, he he's a filmmaker. And so we were going to Prague to film. He somehow got greenlit to film during COVID. And I had so much anxiety about it because I'm like, how are we doing this? And am I allowed? And like, am I going to get in the country? And so I started pulling. <laughs> like every day. And, like- well, no. I yeah yes and I also saw some some shit was coming and I'm like shit like something's coming and so you know it's like such a weird thing because 
you do get privy when you're an astrologer to Mm -hmm. more challenging aspects that you might have to move through. But I believe in astrology has free will. So when you look at horoscopes and especially when you looked at look at predictive astrology of what's coming through, you can see, you know, oh, man, I'm about to go through a challenge with, you know, X, Y, Z or like relationships. Mm-hmm. But the thoughts and the way that you show up for it in your frequency and your energy can make that really challenging right. or it can make it something that you're aware of that you just gracefully accept, surrender and move through. Mm-hmm. But last year, I was not trying to accept that. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to prog hell or high water. So I was just inserting so much obsession and anxiety because I knew this thing was coming and lo and behold this (laughs) I was stopping off to see my parents in Rhode Island before meeting him in Prague and I get off the plane and I swear to god my passport vanished like the gods took my passport in the middle of the pandemic just I I was totally sober like I was totally I, I had it in my bag that was on me in my little clutch, and all of a sudden I get to my parents' house, and it was like a 48-hour just pit stop to say hello. Oh, my God. And I ended up being stuck there for a month and a half without a passport in the middle of a pandemic when, like, you you literally couldn't even get contact with any government agency. There was a backlog, and it was just crazy. And so I was like, oh, okay, this is my test. Like, I see you, astrology. I see you. And so at that point, I was like, you know what? Surrender. Like, this is, like, the thing that was probably meant to happen, a bit of, like, faded energy. Swear, I don't know who has this passport. Like, it... It's it's still I believe it just like shifted into a quantum space. Yeah, I totally <laughs> buy that. <laughs> I'm like baffled. I was like cuz I was so hypervigilant, but anyway. So yeah, so anyway, so I at that point started studying like deeply into manifestation. I'm like, okay, mm. um, you know, just show up like start instead of obsessing over the negatives here, like let's Let's look at the positives. Like, I'm here. I'm alive. My parents' house. (laughs) They're they're great people. And so, you know, I'm just going to make them. And they live in the middle of the woods with, like, no access. It was just, like, a total culture shock. And so I just kind of, like, made the most of it. I walked every day. I paid attention to my thoughts. I started noticing so many weird signs and, Mm. you know, was kind of spoken to by dreams, by literal signs on the street, and I manifested a passport in the middle of COVID, which is impossible. Did it just show up again? (laughs) No, it was this impossible task because there was a backlog of six months, and um, yeah, it wasn't like I... There were just a series of events where I started, I I paid attention to the tarot. I wasn't obsessively pulling, but I paid attention to like some of the directions that I was getting. And then, you know, I I made a plea, but I also didn't want to override the people who really needed the passport. So it was like one of those weird things. But yeah, I ended up getting one expedited and was able to go and be with Jordan in Prague. Um, But it was, it was kind of like a crash course lesson in... Mm watching your thoughts, not inserting anxiety into when you have a tip on the future, which is what these tools give you, mm. it's not like permission to then obsess and try to control it. It's it's the ability to know, okay, like this is what I'm being invited into in my life's narrative. And I can show up for that in a very empowered capacity 
Or, you know, I can obsess over it and not be present and not live presently. And so I think that's the nuance of working with these kinds of tools that you need to take into consideration because as much as they can give you... Um, a lot of benefits they can also <laughs> exacerbate if you have a predisposition toward anxiety. So yeah, totally. <laughs> How has um, you know astrology and and all of this like contributed to your romantic relationships and yeah. sex and intimacy and all that <laughs> stuff? Funny you should ask. <laughs> so I got into astrology. I was always very interested in this line of thought and, you know, I have a bit of witchiness in my family lineage, so it's always compelled me, but I really was thrust into it as part of, I mentioned before, like a healing journey that was triggered by like a super intense pattern in me um, around Mm. dating (laughs) quite toxic men and relationships that were very volatile And, um, you know, there was this kind of breakdown to breakthrough point where Mm. there was a specific situation that, you know, just really exploited my own underworld as well as the replicated pattern in men that I was attracting. And so interestingly enough, um, at that time, one of my dear best friends happened to be a tarot reader. And then my therapist that I got, and this is in New York, happen to also know astrology. So I'm like, okay. And I'm interested in these things anyway. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, just kind of crash course myself. I have a lot of Pluto energy in my chart. So like (laughs) when I want to get into something, it's balls deep, (laughs) lady balls deep. And yeah, I just really became immersed and grossed in the study of myself through like Jungian psychology, but also looking at these archetypes within me through the lens of tarot and astrology. Mm. And I was kind of able to see this replicated pattern in my romantic relationships via my birth chart. And then I was able to look at, you know, a few of my significant partners that I was having at that time and look at the dynamics that I was attracting that were very much, you know, like replicating certain psychological patterns, you know, childhood stuff. And um, that was a way for me to step outside of the closeness and the emotional intensity of yeah. my own experience where I was just, you know, very like triggered. And and it was a tool for me to kind of take a step back and see the bigger picture of who I was attracting and why and kind of the root of that through the lens of, you know, psychology and astrology. And what did you learn? Well, <laughs> I learned that for me, you know, I have a pretty karmic backstory with my relationships. But the cool thing about astrology is there can be like a transformative. There's a way to attract the like lower frequency of a pattern. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a way to opt into the higher frequency. Okay, got it. So like I attract <laughs> volatile Uranian kind of individuals. Okay. And I have a lot of like fifth house stellium. There's a lot of like power dynamics going on. Ooh. Um, and then <laughs> attracting <hot>. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it can be. Exactly. You can choose the higher octave, which looks like, you know, a power couple that gets right. It's a little kinky in bed. (laughs) Um, But in a low vibration, you can recognize the patterns then of like, okay, I'm attracting unavailable, noncommittal men that like have a power structure hold on me in some kind of capacity. And yeah, so that is like a great 
example, when Uranus in a birth chart Mm -hmm. is aspecting your Venus, that means that, like, either you or the partners you attract have this, like, all or nothing, like, come in very hot, leave very hot. And it exacerbates any abandonment wounds. Mm. And so I was like, all right, yeah, I got some of those. <laughs> let's go to therapy for that. And let's choose to opt into the higher octave of that pattern, mm. which looks like, you know, being cognizant of someone is in a space where they want to be committal. And then you're always going to attract that pattern of, like, wanting that energy But in a more positive way, that Uranus can look like spontaneity, open-mindedness in a relationship, the ability to do, like, adventurous things together, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the need for both people to have space. But the difference is that, you know, that person and you have evolved, and you're able to choose and see the better, you know, more healthy patterns than the lower vibration, which is just, you know attracting unavailable people who constantly, like, come in and out of your life. And it's pretty, you know, triggering to anybody with abandonment issues. Totally. I love that idea that there's, like, a dark (laughs) and a light to, like, a pattern. Sure. Right? So you can, like, like you said, like, opt opt into the more, Yeah. you know. Totally. (laughs) And that works works at Sinistry, too. So Mm. Sinistry... Is what so I was talking about just then looking at your own birth chart and mm-hmm. analyzing that, which is really important to get to know your own patterns and become conscious of them. But then once you have that awareness, you can also look at your partner's chart with you, and that's called synastry, where you can understand how you influence each other, both consciously and subconsciously. Um, and so, yeah, the first thing I said to Jordan, my current partner, because I met him once I had already been deep into studying this, I was like, yeah, what time are you born? And he's like, he got it. He's from L.A. He's, he gave me the time right away. I'm like, you don't know what power you just gave me. But I looked at our charts. I'm like, okay. Like ran home. Yeah, I, I sure did. And, it, yeah, it was very good because, you know, we have a lot of I, – I attract karmic relationships for better and for worse. What does that mean? Okay, so if you believe that we're, um, you know, souls traveling through this multidimensional universe. Absolutely. And if you even, like – Dabble in past lives. Um, Past life is like a weird thing because if time is nonlinear, then what does that mean? Mm. Yeah, I don't want to go into that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, But I do resonate with like karma being that you may have had an experience with someone that predates like this existence Mm -hmm. or like it's in another. I don't know. Like that that instant recognition where you feel like you know that person right off the bat and there's like a magnetic pull. And so when people do past life regressions, like they often see whatever triggering partner in this quote lifetime, (laughs) there might have been a situation in a past life that was very intense. Mm. You know, I've had a lot of friends and I've also done past life regressions myself that have been like, oh, okay, that's why they burned me at the stake as a witch. (laughs) (laughs) Not me. My friend had that. Um, I have a few people where I'm like, sure, that's our time. Yeah, like we, we have sticky karma. Things might have gotten weird back in the medieval ages. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, and you can see that. You can see if there's like that instant attraction, like like otherworldly um, mm. thing going on. You can look at certain points in, in a chart. And interestingly enough, my, my partner and I, 
have exactly the same point on like a 360 degree wheel of our, you know, shared karma and where we're going. And this, yeah, no, it's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, But I've had past partners that have had like the opposite and and very uh, much an indicator that we have had sticky karma, you know. So it's interesting because, you know, I was very pragmatic before getting into all of this, you know, very much looking at logic and facts. And when I started to open myself up to just, you know, we don't know what we don't know, and these tools Mm -hmm. are helping me. Um, Even with tarot, you know, looking at the statistics of pulling the same card out of 78 cards every day for a month, I'm like, there's something else here. Mm. And I think it's important to approach these things with healthy skepticism and an open mind. Um, And so the the karmic thing was tricky for me, but it really resonated. And in certain cases with my clients now, it's, it's pretty illuminating. And there's like that, oh, okay, that's why... Or that's part of the reason why this was unexplainable and can cause um, a subconscious triggered reaction mm-hmm. because it's not necessarily making logical sense. It's coming from an otherworldly place. What do you think about this sort of like meme of like the astrology girl or like the kind of like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like obsessive sort of like emotional, whatever. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Wait, is that a thing? <laughs> well, there's like a meme that's like astrology GF, like, um, mm. like, uh, that's funny. like meme stocks BF. You know what I mean? Got like- <laughs> it. I mean, I get it. I totally get it. Because when you start talking about these things, you get super nerdy because there's so right. many rabbit holes to go down with the practice. I think it's becoming less stigmatized on a yes. cultural level, which is cool. Uh-huh. It's, for me, been so monumental in my mental health journey. And that's what it does for so many of my clients is it just helps you understand yourself from an archetypical standpoint, from a pattern standpoint, combined with a stro- with psychology. You know, it, it can be quite a helpful transformative tool. Mm. Um, but meme culture is weird because you really can't, like— <laughs> reduce it down it's fun too like right. I love meme culture astrology but it kind of cheapens it <laughs> and it also like spreads a lot of disinformation like yeah. all cancers are right. like blah 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 and, like all Scorpios are manipulative bitches and it's like they can be but not all and you gotta look right. deeper at that but uh yeah I, I guess I guess like, I could yeah. be like I try not to be. I try it to have it to be opt-in. Like, mm. I know my audience. If I'm if I'm sitting in a certain setting with, like, you know, Jordan's friends who are Taurus and they, they're looking at me like they love me, but they don't they don't rock with this. It's like, I won't talk about it. And I have other things that I'm interested in, too. Right. So you can't, like, force astrology on someone. It's very much one of those things where, you know, you can meet people where they're at. And if they don't want to be in that conversation, then you don't need to force it on them. It's not for everybody. Why do you think, or maybe this is a generalization too, but why do you think women identify more with astrology than men? Mm. <sighs> is that true? I For sure. Yeah. Um, well, I think it goes into like the meta conversation around like the masculine and the feminine. And I'm not talking about men and women with that. I'm talking about like the masculine and feminine yin-yang energy that all of us have within us. And I think people who identify with, you know, more feminine traits like, 
intuition, nurturing, creativity, um, the instinctual, like all knowing that there's something a little bit more than logic and facts. Mm -hmm. uh, there's ideally a balance of both. Um, but I think people who identify with those more feminine traits are open-minded to what they can't see or what they can't quantify. Um, and I guess you can quantify astrology in a lot of ways. Like there's so many examples of accuracy and efficacy, but then... Evidence, receipts. <laughs> yeah, but it's also like there's great astrologers and then there's astrologers who like, you know, are a little bit more, um, you know, snake oily. So mm -hmm. it's it's an interesting practice because... I think when you when you talk about men and women, it's just where you're at in being open-minded to intuitive, you know, the lo if the logical mind can be balanced out with the right brain, I think you can be open-minded to things that are outside of what you know. Um, but if you are the type of person who likes, you know, what is stable, what is in the patriarchal construct, um, what is, you know, part of the status quo, then you're not really going to have an open mind to this because it requires you to be aware that, you know, we don't know what we don't know. But mm. J.P. Morgan, J.P. Morgan's a great example <laughs> no of way. someone who lives in a very, like, yeah, he has this great quote that's like, millionaires don't have astrologers, billionaires do. <laughs> And so many people, like Ronald Reagan, um, Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton, they, they all had astrologers on their council. And <laughs> back in the amazing. day, astrologers were advisors to kings. So, like, it talks about, like, the bigger, you know, shift away from honoring the nurturing and intuitive aspects of the feminine. Mm. And, and we're just not really right there as a society but I feel like we're going through a reckoning. There's definitely, yeah. um, you know, especially with the world being so chaotic, people are looking and being more open-minded to what's outside themselves, um, which can be dangerous because then, you know, it can be a little too open and you get conspiracies. <laughs> but, you know, as long as you look at this and I think it shouldn't like... I think it should be a tool that you have at your disposal, not like a religion of astrology. I would never right. consult or it a as cult that. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, no. <laughs> I'm anti-cult. So I'm, I'm not about Me the too. cult. Way. <laughs> um, I want to dive in a little bit more on the masculine and feminine idea because, I mean, it's so relevant to sex, and yeah. and I think it's something that a lot of like women struggle with. We've talked about it on a lot of episodes, like. I do feel definitely like within me, there's like a more masculine side and a more feminine side. I feel like, you know, in sex, it's so important, no matter your gender, like to have like sort of like polarizing energies that mm -hmm. sort of like come together and I don't know, like fire and ice. And then it's like, you know? yeah, um, yeah. so I don't know, I guess like how, how do you think about the, like your masculine energy and your feminine energy and yeah. how it relates to your gender? Yeah. Um, well, I can speak from personal experience. Yeah. Like, I think in our society, the masculine traits, and again, non-gender, right. um, <laughs> this is like the energy of like goals, ambition, yeah. structure, doing the routine thing, doing the nine to five thing, accomplishments. 
Um, and, and they're not bad, but they're just overemphasized. And so, like, that in me was, like, highly cultivated. Mm, during and your it, Sex in the City era. <laughs> well, yeah. And I still love my Sex in the City era. I'm just, like, Carrie post. I didn't marry Mr. Big. I've had Mr. Bigs in my life. I would say my partner, and I'm not married yet, but I will be. And my partner. Is he um, He's, um. He has Mr. Big qualities for sure, but mm. he's also emotionally available and, like, trustworthy. <laughs> I would never trust Mr. Big's ass after he left me. I thought, are you kidding? It's I hate like, Mr. Big. He's he, a pussy. <laughs> I definitely think that that archetype and that narrative, because Sex and the City was a huge influence on mm. my, like, adolescent and, like, teen years, that definitely influence who I attracted. I was going after, like, the toxic Mr. Big. But I digress. Uh, back to the masculine and feminine. Is it my Venus placement or was it sex in the city? <laughs> Is it? It might have. It was probably both because it's, like, you know, n- nature versus nurture. So I, I nurtured. Well, I nurtured a lot of these, like, masculine traits in order to operate in that kind of environment. Like, New York, you need a strong masculine because you're constantly, unless you're, you know, funded in a really auspicious way, you have to constantly be hustling, which is um, the masculine kind of, you know, goal-oriented, structured, just favors that. Um, So I found that bleeding out a lot into my sex life where I wasn't really emotionally open I wasn't, I was just overemphasizing that part of myself and so many other backstory, like, things that I was repressing psychologically, but the vulnerability, the emotional intimacy was not really present in my sex life until I started becoming aware of this, like, energetic balancing that needed to happen. Um, And so, yeah, like, a lot of great, sex, but it lacked the, um, like, transcendental, like, mm. emotional connectedness. And, yeah, totally. And that's totally different. Like, when you're able to understand that dance with someone and emotionally connect like that, it's it can still be great kinky sex, but you have this, like, different language that you're speaking. And um, that's cool for me because I think it's a layer of pleasure that I didn't know, because you're not really taught that in porn culture. <laughs> porn culture doesn't really give you that. Porn culture, I love that. Yeah, you you, you know, it would be great. I, well, I do think, and I haven't been as up on my porn <laughs> studying, but I, I do think now you're starting to see, like, a more feminine gaze around, like, emotional intimacy in porn, which I think is very cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so I had to do a bit of balancing, um, and I'm still learning. I'm still learning for sure. But I think this uh, partner is particularly safe to mm. explore the more feminine, emotional intimacy, submission, um, and the feminine can be quite strong too. But mm. it's it's just not. Um, it brings that emotional closeness and vulnerability yeah. into play. Well, it's so interesting how our society really like, rewards the masculine accomplishments and energy, like, you're talking about, like, mm-hmm. in New York, if you're feminine, you're going to get run the fuck over. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, again, speaking to the energy, not the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. the vibe. Yeah. Um, or not the gender. Um, but, yeah, and then I think, like, the feminine, like, I feel like, okay, so if society is rewarding this masculine energy of, you know, getting shit done, executing whatever, log- mm. logic, all that stuff... 
and then you kind of enter into that workplace or whatever with the feminine energy, I almost feel like your strategies or tactics like get looked down upon like, oh, you're taking the easy route. Like I'm thinking of women who use like their sensuality in business or whatever, mm-hmm. right? They're they're kind of like demeaned and said like, oh, she's just using her sex to like get ahead or whatever, you know? Sure. I mean, I think the feminine encompasses also this idea of nonlinear success. Um, oh, and working like more in the creative realm. Mm. So um, making room for compassion, for empathy, for more um, emotional connection, which typically is like more taboo in business because, you know, you keep it you keep it to business. Yeah. <laughs> but I think this idea of like empathic leadership is really starting to take hold, especially with millennial and Gen Z culture, because mm. they're not really drinking the Kool-Aid around, you know, work the nine to five. Get right. the, there was just a study, I think Wall Street Journal um, came out that, you know, all of these investment banker companies can't get the latest graduates in even with a 100k salary because of just the grueling hours. Um, There's like this extreme deficit in entry-level positions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because there is this greater awareness that your passion and your purpose should coincide with your work in an ideal setting. And I mean, that's very idealistic, but I think there's a desire from the younger generations to have more enjoyment, more connection, more purpose, which is a feminine kind of energy. It is, yeah. And so if you are an empathic leader and you're embodying the best of both, like in the tarot, mm. that's the emperor and the empress, and you mm. have this, you know, you, you create the structure, right. you create like the container, which is masculine, and yeah, there's there's bottom lines to me, and that's that's important shit. But then you allow for, you know, things that aren't necessarily quantified, like quality of life and connection with yes. with employees and connection Well-being. with your director. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, that's how I view, like, within the workplace mm-hmm. where we need to do balancing. Um, and, yeah, the, the conversation around, like, sensuality is really interesting. Um, I've experienced within the corporate world, like – positives and negatives to embodying that feminine. I've been like in a situation that's highly uncomfortable, not really like the me too stuff, but just kind of, um, icky. You're not taken as seriously when you, you know, I would dress down a lot when I was younger and in a more like legacy based hierarchical media environment and TV environment, I would actually like make sure that I wasn't looking cute or sexy um, just so I was taken more seriously. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at my last job, I was at Refinery for a while, and that was a very empowering environment. You know, mm-hmm. any company like that that scales really quickly and has a feminist message mm-hmm. will also, you know, have to undergo certain trials and tribulations around the scrutiny of embodying that within the culture. And, it was interesting to see that feminine come into play within a industry that is still favoring the masculine, mm-hmm. you know, because they did a really good job and it still was very challenging because they kept having to meet bottom lines and it, it, there was just a challenge. And I was very privy to that conflict um, and everybody doing their best, you know, people do their best, but... Yeah. I was more empowered then to express myself in my creativity, in my mm-hmm. femininity, um, to dress as I liked at work. And that 
allowed, you know, my personal creativity to flourish, which was very cool to see. Yeah. So I feel that all the time with the people I work with of like, I want to just like hang and like hear how they're doing and, you know, and like, and like listen and just, just be with them. But then it's also, you have that feeling of like, okay, let's go. Let's, yeah. you know, like meet the bottom line. Sure. Um, like boundaries are important when you're right. working, but I also think closeness and intimacy, especially in that job that I yeah. held for five years, it was the reason why I stayed. It was the reason why we got through a lot of like challenges together. So I think there is room for the feminine within the business culture, um, you know, depending on the container and how well it's held. But we're all still figuring it out. No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Those are, like, important conversations to have. But I don't know that, like, the government's talking about masculine and feminine. We could go super meta because, like, taking care of our earth is a, like, feminine principle. Oh, I see. Like, taking care of Mother Gaia, the the Mm -hmm. ultimate mother. That's a balancing that needs to happen. But, again, the bottom line of (laughs) corporate interests, it's tricky. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's it's really something that I've been thinking a lot about because I think just like we talked about, like, there's such a premium right now on the masculine energy Mm. and figuring out, like, how to bring in, how to be, like, a feminine, to how to embody that feminine energy with still feeling strong and effective and productive. Yeah, if that's well, even you can a thing. do it. You can do it on a personal <laughs> level every day. Like I right. have certain practices and routines that structure mm. my day, but then I allow for fluidity, 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 and um, <laughs> fluidity. I allow for you know space to be creative, to I say, yeah. just dream, to have open open time to do things that are interesting, to brainstorm. Um, it's really different for everybody, yeah. but I think. When I was in New York and embodying so much masculine, it was like every hour of my day was pre-planned. And it yes. didn't really allow me to fully flourish. I, I got shit done, but I wasn't <laughs> necessarily as fulfilled and like emotionally happy. Yeah. I was. I was in a lot of ways. But, no, but um, we were talking about this yeah. when we first met about how like New York is like like you literally don't think in New York. You simply go. <laughs> right. It's like a flight or flight. Right. Fight or flight survival mode. I mean, I moved to New York with $500 in a dream. So, like, I, I am a very extreme version. Some people are more strategic and they can create, like, more stability. And then maybe right. they have. But I, yeah, I power through that. It gives me anxiety thinking about New York. But it, it's a great place for so I'm many. going back in September. <laughs> Not forever. But Just I'm, for I'm producing an event there. But, oh, so um, fun. Yeah, in, in, <laughs> in the pandemic, which, well, yeah, we're taking a lot of precaution. But, um, we're yeah. We're throwing a huge <laughs> I'm not going to get myself in trouble by talking about that further. But, yeah, no, it would be really good to be back there now that I've evolved. And I think yeah. L.A., did we talk about this, like the energy of L.A. being more feminine? Was that, Oh, totally. Was I talking with you about that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, it's I interesting so. because with astrology, there's also this practice of astrocartography where you can map your birth chart onto a map of the earth and and figure out where like you're supposed to be or something well it's like the added cherry on top I think there's a lot of nuances to take into account like looking at your natal chart also looking at where you're at with your horoscope what you're going through currently Um, but interestingly enough my Venus line is running through LA and Venus you know is Aphrodite energy and talks about creativity love romance um, 
that is for me a gravitational pull in LA and that's where I've been able to embody a lot of those more Venusian qualities Mm. Uh, whereas New York is where my Pluto line runs which (laughs) is a planet that deals with like power and like you know very much the underworld also dealing with your psychology (laughs) dealing with transformative energy it's like the god of the underworld but that's like New York to me is the underworld (laughs) Well, it was a very transformative time for me, and, like, I definitely found my power after I had to go through the underworld, right. but, yeah, for sure. It, it's a dense, it's a dense, like, energy, it's, yeah. but it's, um, I think it's also going through its own renaissance, maybe, perhaps. There's so much creativity there. It's just right. that, like, it requires so much challenge. <laughs> it's like a masochistic creativity. Whereas LA is like, let's let's help you. You know, you know, LA has its own thing. But I think creativity is more celebrated here for better mm. or for worse, more competitive here. But it um That's so true. There's room for it. Yeah. You know, there's a lifestyle that allows for it more than New York, which I would say the lifestyle of New York, it's really hard to insert time for creativity and, like, fluidity there. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you one more thing that I just remembered. So I was watching, I was on TikTok. This is going back to the masculine feminine thing. Mm. And there was a woman who was talking about, she was like, she was like, I think um, that like, divine femininity is being marketed to women to keep them, like, under the trap of the patriarchy. Ooh. Basically, like, saying... <laughs> that was a lot of buzzwords. <laughs> but basically... <Wow. laughs> but basically, she was saying, like, you know, women always hear, like, oh, you're more emotional during sex than men. Like, you're going to get attached. Um, you know, like, you release chemicals during sex that men just don't, and so you are you know, going to be in love with every man you sleep with, right? And she's like, that is not true. Like, women are just taught that, like, their value is in sex, in purity. And mm-hmm. so, like, like she's like, it's more of, like, a condition thing. But she thinks, like, like removing all of, like, society and, and all the bullshit that, like, men and women are actually, like, equally um, kind of, like, emotional during sex, that's just de- playing yeah. devil's advocate. Yeah, I <laughs> it's mean, it's interesting, right? That's super interesting. Yeah. I I'm not, you know, an expert Me in neither. that. <laughs> I'm I can speak from personal experience, right. but I have had detached sex before. Um, yeah, me too. I, I have had like very attached sex <laughs> right? before. I think it's unique to each individual yeah. and like how much masculine or feminine energy. I mean, I think the emotional attachment. I don't know the biology. I think there is like more of a biological. Um, because of, you know, our childbearing tendencies. But Mm. I also believe that that can be reinforced in a negative way. And women can also, you know, feel empowered and have been in recent years more empowered to have, you know, sex for pleasure and sex for them. I think it's evolving. I don't know. I'd be curious to listen to this lady and do some research. (laughs) I don't really know. (laughs) Yeah, no, me neither. But it was because I kind of agree with you that, I mean, I'm literally just talking in my ass, but like biologically, (laughs) like... Like, we only get, like, we have to carry the child for, like, nine months, right? So we're, like, obviously going to be a bit more emotionally. Well, maybe not. 
I will I speak know. to the water signs in the <laughs> room. I am not one, and I don't have a water Mars, but I know a lot of women who have uh-huh. I'm a Mars. Pisces. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, you're a Pisces. I love that. That's I'm not a typical Pisces, having. I don't think. Yeah, I'd be curious to see your birth chart. And I'm double Scorpio on the rising and moon. Ooh, fun. <laughs> okay, well, then that, I'm... Yeah, <laughs> let's pull like, up your birth chart. Let's pull up your really, birth chart. Really, will you do it for me? Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Wait, yeah. I took a little screenshot of it, so. Amazing. <laughs> I'm also going to pull it up online. Okay. Um, uh, but, yeah, you know, it's – I study then, you know, attachment styles through the lens of astrology and the birth chart in particular. Is that – Helpful. Oh, wait, sorry. Yeah, that's <laughs> That'll um, tell you more than my birth chart. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so nervous. <laughs> you don't need to be nervous. Yeah, you're a trip of water. Um, oh. Sun in Pisces, rising in Scorpio, moon in Scorpio. Uh, it means your seventh house is in Taurus and <laughs> your Venus is in Pisces and Mars is in Libra. Yeah, for you, you know, you might find that, you know, sex is pleasurable for you because you've got so much. Scorpio, there, there is a bit of like a power dynamic um, mm. in the room. And at its best, it can be, you know, soul merging because you're like mind, body and spirit fucking someone. <laughs> And that's the best, like, when you achieve that. And so, like, I will say, like, Pisces, you know, have to be just aware of the energies that they're attaching themselves to because um, you're quite, um, like, sensitive, like, highly sensitive person, which is a superpower. Like, that is, you can walk into a room and just pick up on an energy, pick up on a vibe, like, more so than most. Mm -hmm. Um, That really resonates with me. Because sometimes I'll just, like, hitch my carriage to the wrong yeah. The wrong energy. <laughs> yeah, and you can you can intuitively feel. And so in that case, it's challenging to know then, like, well, okay, is that emotion coming from me or from someone else or my partner? Is that yeah. the thing that I'm picking up on? But your Mars and Libra in the 11th house, you know, you'll have a lot of suitors trying to bed okay. you <laughs> yeah you know um and you work very well in partnership you have um, a lot of fourth house energy though um so that's that speaks of wanting to also you know be able to do the chill thing at home with someone being able to cuddle and watch a movie and just kick it um you know the capacity to be out and social but really you might like just Having nice food and wine and having a cuddle night and there's a there's a lot of like sentimental energy up in here too. Definitely. I feel like I am like kind of into cozy vibes, you know? <laughs> you got a strong Saturn in your fifth house though. So that Saturn in the fifth house, um, from age twenty-eight to thirty would have made you temper any impulsivity around dating. It's like if you were like, you know, Doing a lot of dating or, like, falling in love very quickly, um, you know, from age 20 to 30 would have been a bit of, like, all right, the fun was had. Let's <laughs> let's get a little bit more serious. Let's adult and look at our styles of, you know, seeking mates in a more responsible way or whatever. <laughs> I, I speak from experience because I also have Saturn in the fifth house, and it was, like, oh, Okay, it was. It just was like sucked all of the fun out of the room because the fifth mm. house deals with things of pleasure, of fun, of mm. you know dating. Versus the seventh house deals with partnership. Um, That's really interesting. But Wait, yeah. what is this? A Saturn return is like a cleanse, sort of, that happens when you're like thirty. 
Well, it's from 28, roughly, to 30. And Saturn is a planet, archetypically, that's, like, the daddy of of the zodiac. And, like, you know, depending where it falls in your chart, it can bring up some, like, paternal dynamic issues to work through. And ultimately, it's just, like, the spiritual adulting. It grounds Mm. you to get serious and reckon with any sort of, like— patterns that aren't serving you depending on where it's at in your chart and some people have like a heavier Saturn than others um yours happen to be in like the pleasure house and in the house of like having all the fun and so if there was a tendency to like you know go out and party a lot this is like all right I got like a serious um daddy is in my pleasure house is that what you're saying (laughs) yeah well you know you might you might have like a attraction to like an older archetype or an archetype of someone who carries himself with assertion and power. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's lovely. But <laughs> since you have so much Piscean energy, you do mm-hmm. have to be careful that, like, you don't become over-engulfed by these kinds of personalities that might be very, um, what you want to call it, like, you know, like the narcissist. Yeah. Uh, what, that what really is that? Yeah. yeah, like the narcissist archetype with, or the, you know, Hades, Persephone. It's like you are, you know, this beautiful, like watery, and and you got some other energies flowing through your chart, but you are very, like, caring and receptive, and as a partner, it can show up in a way that uh, gives a lot of yourself. Mm. And so just being aware that then there's this, like, pulling in of very strong personalities that in that low vibration can be very domineering and very self-centered and a low in a taker like self-centered because then you know there's just that imbalance and so the high vibration of that is someone who's emotionally in touch with themselves and able to think outside of their own experience um (laughs) and still you know that zaddy kind of response (laughs) We, I'm obsessed. Thank you so much. Yeah, we can go deeper later. It's just like scratching to. the yeah. surface, but I don't want to bring up, you know, <laughs> too deep. No, that was, <laughs> to I mean, audience. so accurate. Yeah. Um, can you just tell people where they can find you and how they could schedule a reading if they wanted to or yeah. anything? Well, um, sure. My Instagram handle is at Fiona.Hillary and then Hillary with two L's and an E. And then my website is esoteric-empowerment.com, and that's where you can schedule. But my website's also on my Instagram. So, okay, cool. Yeah, they can find me in the places. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was, like, really enlightening, and yeah. I already feel more esoterically empowered. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Caroline <laughs> and Quinn. <laughs>